I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Matt Rousel, Chief Product Officer, Merchant Services at Nets. And we're talking about digital payments. Crypto is coming, I guess, is one thing we can say. But let's look more broadly at the trends that you're seeing across Europe. What are the big trends right now? Thanks, Robin, and thanks for inviting me on. I think, I mean, the obvious trend is a shift to online, which, you know, it's kind of like um, COVID formed a nitrous oxide injection into the engine of the online growth. I mean, even in countries which have historically been a bit slower at adopting online, like Germany, you know, we're now hitting 75% of uh, consumers have bought something online in the last few months, which I think was the stat that came out of Eurostat a few months ago. I think we're only seeing that accelerating now. I think there is a definitely any residual hesitancy amongst consumers in shopping online, I think, has gone away. I'm not saying everything can be bought online, but we're not that far away from everything being bought online now. Is it a case of once you go online, you never go back? It's a really interesting question because I had that conversation with a couple of retailers right at the height of COVID where everything was shut down and, and you and I are in the UK and you, know, you could basically go to the supermarket and that was about it. And I know it was similar in other European countries. And I asked them that question. And their view was that for things that you don't like shopping for, like groceries, you're less likely to go back. For things you enjoy shopping for, maybe records or clothes, depending on your personal preference, they believe that people will go back, which makes it quite difficult if you're in a retailer in what I would call the the necessity shopping space rather than the luxury shopping space. Talking about shopping is all very well, but what we're really here to talk about is how people pay for it. So how is that changing? How is that going to change? I think what we have seen up until now is people have gone online and tried to stick with the way they pay offline. So be that credit card or, I mean, a startling fact when I when I started um, doing a little bit of preparation for this was Germany's huge online shopping growth has been accompanied from 2015 to 2019, by an increase in the proportion of open invoice payments. So this is paying when you get the goods delivered in cash or or, or in another route, but paying in arrears. And I found that absolutely startling because I was expecting to find that Germany had finally kind of moved to be at account-to-account payments, but it hasn't. So I think that's stage one. Yeah, I don't like to talk ill of Visa and MasterCard, but I suspect partly encouraged by SCA, is I think you will see a switch to more convenient payment methods, be that um, account-to-account-based payment methods or be that wallet-based payment methods, just because they are easier to use. That's the kind of shift I see. And I think, yeah, we'll talk about uh, crypto as we go through the piece. I think you are starting to see on the fringes maybe more so than in the core, people start to use that. But everything starts in the fringes, right? Yeah, I remember when account-to-account was a very much a minority sport, and now it's becoming a lot more common. Well, I could go back further than that, and I remember a time when credit cards were new and people had to be reminded that you're supposed to sign the back of it. (laughs) I remember that too. I remember somebody in front of me signing the card while they were doing their transaction, and I thought, "Mm, that's not very secure. No, nor, dare I say it, um, to give another example, chip and pin. I actually witnessed when chip and pin was introduced in the UK, 
a sales assistant, say, give me a card, love. What's your PIN number? <laughs> yes, that's even worse. <laughs> I do remember getting a card captured in an ATM when I just started in banking, working in a branch, and the card had the PIN written on the signature strip. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, well, let's move on to hopefully more secure and more developed methods of payment then. You raised crypto as a flag there. I already mentioned it. Right now, I keep telling people, you can't pay for things in Bitcoin. It's far too volatile. But crypto as a catch-all expression covers way more than just the, the digital gold that some people seem to view current cryptocurrencies as. So how is the use of these digital currencies, perhaps I can use that phrase, going to change how we pay? I think it's a, a really good question. I, I go back to the original definition of money that I remember learning well, probably longer than I care to mention at university, that it's a store of value and a medium of exchange. And I think you're spot on in saying things like Bitcoin struggle on the first test. Because to be a store of value, you need some element of stability. And you don't want to use a currency that devalues or could go up by 20% before you reach the shop. I think that's the big hurdle for crypto. And you'll always have people who are prepared to accept that volatility and still make a payment. And our trial in Austria of accepting crypto at the point of sale is, is, is accepting volatile cryptocurrencies. We're accepting Bitcoin and we're hedging them out for the merchant in real time. So when they do the transaction, the merchant knows they're going to get euro. I mean, they can opt to get Bitcoin, but none of them have yet. But they, they can hedge it out. But certainly from my point of view, and I would say most people in the mainstream, they're not going to want to go with that. I think once you start seeing stable coins, be they centrally bank issued or confidently issued by private proprietors, and by that I mean backed by currency as opposed to a leveraged off currency, which I know we've had one instance of in the US, then I think it becomes a different game. Then I think if the user experience is a good user experience, I think people will use them to pay. It's potentially inevitable. What's the journey towards digital currencies? And are there any learnings? I mentioned chip and pin earlier. Are there any learnings from things like chip and pin and contactless in the way digital currencies will be adopted? Certainly with contactless, there was a huge challenge around who, who moved first. It, you needed lots of cards and you needed lots of terminals and nobody wanted to put terminals out there until there were lots of cards and vice versa. And I think... The schemes helped in that, in, that, in that position by kind of giving everybody a little bit more confidence and sharing plans. I think there is a role for some central player, and I don't know who that is, to kind of also facilitate that by saying, look, we've got stable coins coming. We've got a good consumer experience coming. Therefore, have confidence, Mr. Merchant. And equally, on our side, we need to give merchants a smooth journey, something I always say the test for any product in a shop is can a 17-year-old use it without having to have a lot of training? Because you have that on a Saturday morning, right? Saturday morning shop, 17-year-old. You're talking about the sales assistant. So yeah. I, I, yeah. I think I need to underline that. Yes, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yes, yeah, a very, very valid point. <laughs> That's one issue. Can people adapt and adopt? What else would you say are the issues that are going to shape new payment penetration in the years to come? Then I think it's all about infrastructure. The user journey actually can, I think the, the big difference between chip and pin and contactless versus today is you have a lot more options around form factors and the interaction at the point of sale. 
So we've got this amazing computer we all carry around called a mobile phone. So that gives you a consumer device that can handle multiple form factors and multiple ways of interacting and storing the security tokens that are going to be necessary to do the transaction. In our experiments in, oh, experiments, our pilots with uh, Symantex in Vienna, what we've done is we've proven that you can use the point-of-sale device to provide the merchant side of the piece. And the interaction between the two uses a barcode, which is something that's very common in Asia, still common in some countries in Europe, less common maybe in um, Western Europe, which I think the end-to-end capability, I think we've pretty much established what we now need is is the issuance of a, a coin that people are confident in, a crypto asset that people are confident in that can be used as a currency rather than an investment product, if I'm being generous, maybe with a small eye. Who is going to issue the coin then, in your view? That is the big question. And I have absolutely no insider knowledge or insight into that. I mean, if I, as a consumer, I would want it to be issued by somebody I trust. And it is possible it could be issued by a private sector entity. I trust my Visa or MasterCard, and they're issued by private sector entities. I trust my debit local debit scheme card in Denmark, and it's issued by a private sector entity. In fact, it's backed by Nets. But I think it needs to be somebody big you can trust so that you feel confident enough that you know, the, the value is going to be the value when you want to use it. And I suppose we still haven't resolved the big question, who's going to step up to the plate? No. And I've seen reports, as I'm sure um, our listeners have, around the central banks. Are they going to play? Aren't they going to play? The recent reports out of the House of Lords have said, well, maybe the central bank shouldn't play. And I think kind of that's what everybody's waiting for. I think until you get there, you're going to have, it's always going to be a minority sport. You're going to have a few people who are prepared to pay with crypto using crypto.com's card or using our uh, Symantec's pilot. And you're going to, in the same way, you've got people who have Glink cards and sell gold every time they buy a a good. I don't think it's going to hit the mainstream until you have that central issuing authority. As you mentioned, the the House of Lords report, I'll kick in my two penneth on that as well. They basically said, as far as I can see, that the CBDC is an answer in search of a question. Yes, that's pretty much what they said. That's pretty much what they said. I can sort of see what they're saying. But I guess there are use cases out there, both today and certainly in the future, where crypto potentially is a solution if there was stability and confidence and trust in the actual crypto asset. Micropayments is a great example. Yeah, I mean, that, that is painful to do using credit cards. We all know the easiest way of solving that problem is to do aggregation. But as soon as you aggregate, you lose the certainty of payment. Or so you aggregate over time. And you know, in your own industry, the number of times I've wanted to buy one article from a newspaper, because it really interested me, but I didn't want to subscribe for three months to the newspaper. And there isn't really an easy solution for doing that at the moment. And account to account may solve that problem, because it at the moment is very low cost. But maybe it doesn't. And the ability to use an online token that is a bit like cash and has very low transaction fees, I think there is a use case in there. Now all we need is somebody to create it. Matt Rousel, Chief Product Officer, Merchant Services for Nets, thank you very much.